He's got connections. From actors and athletes to comedians and world-class musicians. Andy Hall. His contact list is jam-packed with some of the most recognizable names in entertainment. And every week, Andy Hall's bringing them to you on the Laser Airwaves. This week in Andy's Hall Pass. He's got connections. From actors and athletes to comedians and world-class musicians. Andy Hall. His contact list is jam-packed with some of the most recognizable names in entertainment. And every week, Andy Hall's bringing them to you on the Laser Airwaves. This week in Andy's Hall Pass. He's got connections. From actors and athletes to comedians and world-class musicians. Andy Hall. His contact list is jam-packed with some of the most recognizable names in entertainment. And every week, Andy Hall's bringing them to you on the Laser Airwaves. This week in Andy's Hall Pass. He's got connections. From actors and athletes to comedians and world-class musicians. Andy Hall. His contact list is jam-packed with some of the most recognizable names in entertainment. And every week, Andy Hall's bringing them to you on the Laser Airwaves. This week in Andy's Hall Pass. Talking to Three Doors Down drummer Greg Upchurch, whose career dates back to the early 1990s and includes stints with Chris Cornell and Puddle of Mud, among others. Greg's story is a fascinating one, but the most recent chapter in the age of COVID-19 and many sheltering in place has found him stepping out from behind the kit, having written and recorded a new song entitled Skin to Skin. Greg joins me via the Laser Hotline. How are you? I'm doing all right. How are you? I am doing good. I'm uh, locked inside my home. Yeah, you know what? It's very rare that any of us get to get out and do anything nowadays, and and of course we're doing it for a good reason. But you know, we are Americans, are we not? And it, it comes there comes a point where we just can't sit still. It, it, it just it makes home like uh, home prison, or like when you're you know have to be stuck at home, or whatever they call that. You know. It makes puts in a different perspective. Well, at least we don't have to wear ankle monitors. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. I can go to the grocery store, but it is it is it does feel strange. Well, I'm glad you're doing well. I appreciate your time today. It's great to hear from you. Uh it's uh, it's great to be heard from. Uh, and you know, it's uh, thank you. Uh, you're in Des Moines, right? That is correct. Yeah, I'm from Oklahoma, which is kind of that midwestern thing. And they just got my hometown just got rocked with a tornado yesterday. Oh no, really? Yeah. It was actually on the Today Show, of all things. So oh. all, it was a big one. And uh, but every my, my family's fine. My mom said that these, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with tornadoes. I mean, they just washed it from the porch. It never even rained where she was. You're talking to a former meteorology major before I got into radio. So yeah, I'm I'm more than familiar with weather and you know Oklahoma City in particular and and mm-hmm. the kind of weather they get down there. Uh, and you grew up in all of that, didn't you? Yeah, I'm from Oklahoma originally. I moved to California, you know, when I was. Uh, 21, 22 years old. <clears throat> you and I met, Greg, in August of 2004 at the Iowa State Fair, and at the time, you were still drumming for Puddle of Mud, but if I'm not mistaken, this was right before you made the move over to the Three Doors Down camp. Yeah, was that show with, uh, was that possibly with Nickelback and uh, Three Doors Down as well? Yeah, it was uh, Nickelback. I don't think Three Doors was on that show, but we definitely had Nickelback at our grandstand, yeah. Well, then that was probably part of that tour that year. Um yeah, that's when the, every that was the last tour I did with uh, Puddle. That was um, and uh, every we did the whole drummer switcheroo thing. Yeah, it was like two or three of you. Daniel Adair moved from Three Doors to Nickelback. You jumped from Puddle to Three Doors. And was there one other character involved in that musical chairs kind of thing? No, or? no, that was it. That okay, was, uh, that was it. But uh, it made sense. I mean, when looking back at it, because well, the fact that Daniel is Canadian. 
and Nickelback being Canadian. And right. I'm from the South, and then those guys, Three Doors, I'm sure you've met them before at some point. They're pretty Southern. So it, it, it seemed to blend pretty well. No doubt. So, you know, unfortunately, I mean, but I, you know. I was. I have. I felt I had to move out of the puddle situation. I was about to have my, my first child, my wife, and I just got married, and it just seemed like the right thing to do. Well, it seemed to have worked out pretty well for everybody involved, uh, yourself yeah. included. I, I don't know about you, Greg, but when I think of 2004, I definitely don't think that feels like 16 years ago. My God, no, it doesn't. It's, <laughs> it's, it's really unfair that the older you get, the faster it goes. This is true. Yeah, there's a lot I'd like to cover while I've got you here. But before we get too deep into history, let's talk current events and the song you've written since all of this coronavirus craziness hit America. What inspired you to write Skin to Skin? Because unless I'm missing something, this is really a first for you in terms of stepping out on your own like this, at least publicly. Well, it all happened. All of this. The band was going to start a tour in June. We were going to go to Europe. And in July, we were going to start a U.S. tour, July, August, September, October. And then I was also planning on opening up my own coffee shop in Oklahoma, in my hometown. So just like, you know, retirement, because, you know, the music industry is fickle. And so I wanted to do something that was more substantial, and it was mine. Not a, I wasn't a part owner with a band kind of thing, where this is just my thing. And I've been working on it for two years, and I was about to close everything up on it, and then this happened. Mm. Now, thank God I didn't open it up two months ago or something. But nonetheless, it just derailed my plans for that, derailed my plans for playing live shows. So I'm like, what do I do? And I wasn't planning on writing a song, but I rent a room in my basement in my house to a, a guy who's an engineer. And uh, he was like, you just write a song about it. Maybe make you feel better, you know, kind of thing. And I just kind of started messing around the guitar and wrote this thing in 20 minutes. And it was the easiest song I ever, ever wrote because I was just like, okay, I'm just going to write about how I feel. And I'm like, a lot, and when I listened back, I was like, I bet a lot of people feel this way. I mean, everybody does. I, I can't ever think of a time in history when everybody on the globe is in the same kind of emotional state, almost. It's funny you say that, because that's where my mind went on this, too. I'm like, you know, other than here in America, specifically post 9-11, I feel like we were kind of all on the same page. But ever since then, I can't think of anything, and certainly not something worldwide. You're right. No. I mean, this is, it does remind me a lot of 9-11, and I have a lot of the same hope in the sense that it brings us to together again as a, as a species, if, if nothing else, you know, much less a citizen of a country, but just the human race. And then that, you know, because you think about like, I, I think about like, you know, 20, 30 years from now when everything's on a computer and everybody, you're ordering everything online, you don't go anywhere for anything. And then like, now we're getting a taste of like kind of what that would be like, like, do you really want to go to where you just do everything online, everything's computerized, that there's no, it doesn't seem very pleasant. I need human interaction. I mean, for one, I need human interaction, interaction for, as a performer, the energy that you get from an audience, you know, <clears throat> but like you'll see these concerts that are live streamed with no audience, you know, it, it, it's, it's fun, but it's like, there's no energy. And so you need human interaction. You know, I think just to, for our own benefit, for our own psyche. 
you know what? We had gotten away from talking to one another, don't you think? I, I went to New York City back in August, and I see it a lot more there than I see it here in the Midwest. But I was shocked at how everywhere I went, people's heads were down. They weren't even looking at each other. They weren't paying attention to what was going on around them, and they certainly weren't conversing, you know? Well, no. I mean, you're, they're either talking to someone on the other side of the country or something, or they're so self-absorbed that they need that those endorphins to see how many likes they got on something. Right. You know, whatever it is. I mean, I'm not saying that as in a derogatory or a way. It's just because I'm like that, too. I mean, we all need, you know, self-appreciation or what it not self-approval. Well, you know what I'm looking for. Approval. Well, validation for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Validation. I mean, of, of all kinds of things. But, I mean, if this doesn't show, like, because everybody has to feel the same way I do in the sense, like, I just want to be able to go hang out with friends, whether uh, it's at a game or a restaurant or whatever, visiting with people and not feel like, you know, everybody, you know, anybody could be a distance to me. I was just talking to my mom last night about this and how the biggest takeaway, the number one takeaway from all of this, because we are going to make it through it. And I have that same kind of hope that you do, Greg. Mm -hmm. And my biggest takeaway here is the fact that I'm not taking anything for granted anymore. No. I mean, I've thought the same thing. It's like, man, because like the next time you go to a concert, whenever that does happen, I mean, just the thought of it is just, I, I can't wait to be, I mean, I wish I'd be a part of it. Like just being a part of my own concert, but just to know when it comes back. Yep. Or, you know, just even watching a sporting, a golf event or whatever, I don't care, on TV. Just something that shares like, oh, today's Saturday. You know, like, I don't even know what today is. I mean, we last night we had uh, turkey and dressing and stuff in, like, Thanksgiving. I was like, if we're if it doesn't matter what day it is, let's just have Thanksgiving again. You've just inspired me to do Thanksgiving at my home. You know, <laughs> it's the best. It's the best. I, I even found an old football game on NFL Network, and I'm like, I'm going to watch this thing and fall asleep on my couch on my recliner here. There's been a lot of that. Although tonight, uh, you know, there's the NFL draft. I can't get over I don't, that I just now... I'm a football, you know, I love football, and I'm like, it's so weird, like, oh, you had the draft today. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, I forgot about it. That's going to be interesting to watch. And, because last year, I live in Nashville. Last year it was here, and I don't know if you've caught it, but it was crazy. I mean, the whole Broadway, they shut it down. I mean, it was just packed. And then now, it's this year, it's going to be odd. Yeah, but at least it's something current to watch, right? I mean, I, I don't know about you. I mean, I love revisiting some old games if we're talking sports or, you mm -hmm. know, there's been a lot of bands like Metallica have done like the live concert thing on Monday nights. And, you know, uh, I love all of that stuff. But, you know, to get something that's happening in the here and now, uh, again, back to, you know, not taking anything for granted. I think uh, it goes hand in hand with what I'm talking about, you know. I know. Can you imagine the poor director of Sports Center? Oh. Like, what am I going to put on this thing? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? I think they did beanbag toss at one point. It right. was like watching the Ocho or something, wasn't it? It was like two kids up on the yard playing catch. Like, <laughs> what's, this, what's that? You know? <laughs> oh. So, Skin to Skin, the video accompanying the song is available on your Greg Upchurch Music YouTube channel. I'm including it with our interview on the Laser website oh, in case uh, fans hadn't had a chance to see it yet. A cool split screen of you playing drums in one window, guitar in one, bass in another, and singing in the four. 
forth. Correct me if I'm off base here, Greg, but at least in my experience with drummers, they're, they're not typically known for stepping out from behind the kit and aren't thrust into the center spotlight often, if at all. So what has this experience been like for you? Has it been enjoyable? Oh, it's been great. And the thing is, is you'd be surprised because like Brad Arnold, the same for Three Doors, he, he's the original drummer, and they had to get him out from behind the drums. So when they first started, and then Chris Cornell, singer from Soundgarden, he was the original drummer. Oh, I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah. So he's a drummer. So a lot of singers are drummers, actually, which is interesting. You know, obviously we all know about Dave Gold, Phil Collins, Don Henley, those guys. But you know, there are a lot, and I and I think that my theory is it's a lot easier for a drummer to do what I did: go and play guitar, bass, sing, <clears throat> if you can do it enough, a little bit. Like, if you can be a drummer and play a little bit of guitar. You can't be a guitar player and play a little bit of drum. <laughs> That's a good point. So it kind of, you know, going to the whole validity or validation, it's like the drums are pretty important, especially whenever you're cutting everything yourself. I'm guessing you've shared this with your bandmates. Oh, yeah. I've, oh, yeah I sent it to them all. I was like, check it out. I mean, because I never sang on anything before. Right. I didn't know who was singing, and I was like, "That's me." <laughs> and then, and then Brad's like, "Oh man, you're getting a mic now." <laughs> Meaning, like, you know, background vocals. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> but uh, yeah. So that was interesting just to know because I can't stand my own voice. But I think that's the case with everybody. And that was because my wife knows about. It. She laughs at me because she's like, "You played in a band with Chris Cornell, and you played in Heart with Ann Wilson." So yeah, you're going to be critical of your voice. Your expectations are pretty high. So I'm like, oh, yeah, because no way I'm going to get in. I'm not a real singer, but at least I can carry a tune. And that's the good thing about rock and roll. You don't have to be a great singer. It's just got to be, you got to be able to feel something, you know, emotionally, whatever it is. It's got to be relatable and jamming. And if that's the case, you know, anybody can get into it. You just got to, you know, not be awful. <laughs> Not be unlistenable. Can you just be, uh, you know, listenable to some degree, and you'll be all right. Right. The timeline of your professional career is a fascinating one. Having made the move from your native Oklahoma to Los Angeles, as you alluded to, where you became a member of the band Eleven, and I read somewhere yeah. that Matt Cameron had a hand in that opportunity. What's the story there? Well, he was kind of he was friends of the band, and this was back, you know, in '95, and um, he was on Team Greg, kind of, from my understanding, like, he was kind of, like, liked me, because like, they videotaped all the auditions. And they used his, you know, opinion. And I kind of felt like he was my Simon Cowell. You know, <laughs> he, he rooted for me, so which is great, because, like, I mean, the first tour we did, really, was opening for Soundgarden. I got to know all those guys wow. and watch them play every night. You, you know, it was six weeks my first tour and i'm just I'm, you know i'm 24 25 years old and it's just hanging out with chris cornell and matt cameron and kim and ben and all those guys and getting to know them you know like on a like hanging out just kind of talking i'm sure that was your first experience of like well it doesn't get any better than this right <laughs> oh totally i was like well i don't know where i'm gonna go from here right you know <laughs> so i enjoy it while i can and then you know it just you know, from 11, and when the Soundgarden broke up, uh, Chris did the first, his first solo record, Euphoria Morning, and I did that. Uh, there were several people on that, and drummer-wise. But I played on one of the songs, and I did the tour for almost two years. And then um, just getting to be a part of that, 
and then because it was basically he hired Eleven to be his band on his first solo. So when we finished that tour, the the we were under the impression that we're going to just form a new band. We're going to call it something. It's going to be us, me, Alan, and Tosh from Eleven, and Chris. And you know that was the plan. And then a while, I don't know exactly how long it went by, but it was a while. And then all of a sudden, we started to hear it. We heard about audio slaves and then we were like oh god because i mean you think i'm 25 years old or whatever i think i'm going to be in a band with chris cornell pretty much wow and then all of a sudden that happens and i mean it just was that was my ticket you know that was it i'm trying to put myself in your shoes at that point (laughs) on one hand you're super disappointed because you thought this was like the next thing you were going to be playing with chris cornell and a new band but on the other hand it's like to to mix rage against the machine and Soundgarden the way they did had you been kind of exciting too at the same time right oh i I, don't get me wrong i dig it but it's just a sore subject oh man (laughs) you know but you know but it did lead me to um go and i've ended up puddling mud and Alan and Natasha, the other two in the eleven, they ended up uh, playing the Queens of the Stone Age. So they w- did something, and then I did the Puddle of Mud thing for, and that was in 2000. That was right after the Euphoria Morning stuff when Audio Slave was happening. And yep. then in 2005, you know, the rest is history. Three doors down for the past 15 years. Yeah, I know you've got a relationship with Wes even to this day, and you yourself being a guy that has had struggles of his own and triumphed in sobriety. Did you or do you have a role in helping him on his journey to staying sober? Well, I, last time I saw him, he played in Clarksville, Tennessee, and he had basically been in jail, you know, and he was supposed to be sober. He had an ankle bracelet, and I know the person that he's staying, like where he lives. I know the person's house that he lives at mm. in L.A., and that person is a stand-up guy who doesn't allow drugs in his house, doesn't, you know, you can have a beer or whatever, but it's, you know, I can, I, if I know he's there, I, tr- I know he's good. And he said, yeah, he's doing great. He's, he's sticking to it. And so I think, I was like, okay, now I can go see him. I don't want, because I never want to see him when he was messed up. So I drove up to Clarksville, which was about an hour away, and then I hung out with him, and he looked great. He started gaining weight, and he was goofy, which when he's goofy and weird, that's when he's sober. Mm. You know, that's when I know he's clean. It's when he's quiet and reserved. I'm like, okay, something's going on. Yeah. So, I mean, he seemed really good because I, my thing was like, that's a part of being sober is helping other people get sober or a stay sober. I'm not here to preach or to anybody, but if you want to, then, you know, because all it takes is a little bit. If you're a true alcoholic like I was and you try and you do sobriety for a few years, you realize like, wow, everything's a lot better. Everything's a lot clearer. Hmm. I'm not procrastinating on everything. I'm actually taking you know, taking charge of my life here. But you know, like the you know, the Puddle Mud video of him doing the Nirvana thing that's everywhere right now. Yeah, I looked at that. And everybody's like, "Oh, he's all messed up." I'm like, "No, he's not." No, I'm looking at him. I'm like, "He's gained weight. He's got color. He's healthy. He just shouldn't have sang that damn song." Yeah, the he range. Said, yeah, he should have been like, "No." I mean, I don't know what was going on for him to. Because he did this to me when I was in the band all the time, like last second change something. I'm like, he should have been like, hit the first chord, la, 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 la. Nope. Let's do a different guy. Let's Next song. Let's, yeah. yeah, let's let's do uh, Drift and Die or other something. You know what I mean? Like, I'm surprised him or management or whoever didn't like, hey, let's not do that. Because, like I said, he's not messed up. He just, 
in fairness to him, though, I mean, you listen to those old Puddle Road records. If you saw us live back then, I mean, we were a rock band. It was a good band. And he sang his ass off. And I always wondered, I was like, can he do this when he's 40? Can he do this when he's getting close to 50? Can yeah. he sing like this? You know, I mean, it, it's just nature. It's just, you know, unless, unless you're somebody like Chris Cornell, who continued to take vocal lessons in the height of their you know, popularity and was always taking care of their quote-unquote instrument. You know what I mean? I'm actually kind of surprised at some of the vocalists I've talked to that admitted that they still do that. They still take vocal lessons. And I'm like, you're, you're one of the best in the business, and you take what? <laughs> well, they're not trying. A lot of them aren't trying to get better. They're just learning how to protect yeah. and know that that's their bread and butter. And it's not like you, you, know, you break uh, your voice to just get another one. It's like a, like a guitar or drums or whatever. It's like, it's your voice. You're only getting one of these. You know, I've always stuck up for Wes. Uh, I got to know him pretty well, and uh, I had a lot of opportunity to hang out with him. And he, he's just a really great guy, and I think if more people knew that side of him, they, they wouldn't be so so tough on him, you know? And so I, I've always been one that's kind of stuck up for Wes. Well, he people don't know Wes. They know, that, they know the drug addict guy. Yeah. You know, there's, there's two different cats. It's just like anybody else. It's like, if you know something, like, like people, <laughs> I used to get a kick out of this going back to, like, treatment centers and went to a treatment center and like you meet these people and you'll hear these stories like oh he needs a place to stay he's really cool man i get it you know i'm gonna help him out i'm like yeah well in a week when he starts drinking you never met that dude you know that's the guy you haven't met and all of a sudden you're gonna see like that's why he was there in the first place same way with wesley it's like he's known for that other guy that he's not that 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 other persona, the doctor, the Mr. Hyde or whatever, yep. you know, cause his Dr. Jekyll, he's a sweet, good hearted person. Not, 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 not an evil. I feel bad for him more than anything. When I see things like that, because I'm like, that ain't that guy. It's just, he's doing, he's on pills or whatever it is that is taking that day or whatever his thing is, but you know, and so that's, I just felt bad for him because it's like that's not the that's not the guy that's not Wesley. Yeah, I would agree with that. A couple of quick items before I let you go, Greg. And again, I can't thank you enough for the time today. Sure. The world lost one of its most talented drummers in the history of the instrument back in January. Did you ever get to meet Neil Peart by chance? I actually worked. I was a local stagehand in Oklahoma City for concerts. Like the guys, the, the grunts that run cables, unload the semi trucks, and that's what it was like a. Because I wanted to be, that was, you know, part of the music business. That was, you know, I was like 19, 18, 19 years old, out of high school. And I'm like, I I got those little sticky passes. I was a working pass. So I get to watch these shows and see the see them, like Neil Peart and all those guys walk off the bus and walk into catering, you know, or like at those arenas. And um, at the end of the, the, the Rush show, I never got to meet him. But when I was underneath the stage rolling cables up, a Neil Peart drumstick was down there. Oh, wow. I don't know how. Now that I do shows, <laughs> I'm like, how in the hell did that get down there? But uh, I grabbed that sucker. I still got it. That's one of, you know, I'm going to keep that forever. Dude, that's and, like your that's like your pick of destiny right there. I know. It really was. It's like, that's when my life changed. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But, uh, yeah, because, I mean, he's probably the most influential drummer of the past, I mean, since Buddy Rich. I mean, there's Buddy Rich, John Bonham, and Neil Peart. Yep. I mean, you can throw Stuart Copeland in there, but Neil Peart, I mean, and he wrote all the lyrics. I know, isn't that something? I know. I just like, so Geddy Lee wasn't the crazy nerd. It was 
Neil Peart that was writing about <laughs> wizards and things. That's right. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, he's just—I mean, uh, number one with a bullet, far as I'm concerned, and and, um, and, and a tragic life. Yeah, just a tortured soul, if you will, almost just like. I mean, you hope he's at peace because I mean, he was a he, he was a brilliant musician. I heard he was, uh, you know, he was. Uh, I don't know if socially awkward is the right word for this, but uh, you know, when people met him, they were there were very mixed reviews, and he didn't like meeting people typically, from what I understand. But when you meet people you consider heroes in some form or fashion, Greg, are your expectations typically met? Um, they've been probably superseded. Um, uh, I've been blessed enough because I guess maybe because I'm a, a peer or not, a, uh, you know, I'm not a stranger. Like the coolest thing ever happened to me as far as meeting heroes. Well, I've got a few of them. I'm not going to get involved, but this one's a good one was me and my wife were in a sushi restaurant when we were in LA and I was a total of mud at the time. And we were just a tiny little sushi place, like a, in a strip mall thing. And we were sitting there eating. My wife's like, look over there. And it was Dave Grohl sitting there with his wife having oh, wow. dinner. I was like, oh, my God, that's cool. So we're, my wife loves Dave Girls. So she's, oh, my God, oh, my God. And all of a sudden, he gets up and walks over to my table and goes, excuse me, are you Greg Upchurch? No. Yes. And my wife is sitting there watching me. I was like, yeah. He goes, I love Eleven, and I saw you with Chris. And then we were talking, and he wrote his number down on our receipt. Oh, my he's God. Like, he's like, give me a call. I never called him. Wow. crazy enough. Because I was like, what am I going to do? I didn't know what this <laughs> you know, I didn't need anything. I'm like, I'm not going to call. Hey, how you doing? What are you, what are you doing? You know, I mean, I'm not going to do that, but, like, that's how cool that dude is to, like, come up to me and say, nice to meet me. Oh, your jaw you was know? on the floor, I imagine. Oh, it, was, it made me feel like such a rock star. I, I, always, <laughs> I always felt that, that that old Johnny Carson thing with Don Rickles when he was talking about me for, uh, had a date, and he had uh, Frank Sinatra come over and say, hey, Frank, I got this girl. I want you to come. I want to come impress her. Come over to my table and say hello. So Frank comes over to the table and says to Don Rickles, goes, hey, Don, good to see you. He goes, not now, Frank, get your sandwich with someone. <laughs> That's what I felt like, you know, I felt like that, that whole shit. I was like, oh, my God. I was like, not now, Dave, I'm with my wife. So great. <laughs> You know, it's uh, funny, because I'm in this line of work, I, too, get to meet a lot of fascinating people. It's funny, though, how meeting some kind of feels like an out-of-body experience, at least for me. Have you ever had that? Actually, my first one was weird. When I first moved to L.A., and I was, I'm not sure how familiar you are with Los Angeles, but from Hollywood, I was in North Hollywood, and I was playing in Hollywood at this place called the Coconut Teaser, and there's a road called Lowell Canyon, and it's this windy, windy road that goes over the hill. There's no sidewalks or anything. It's just a little road. It's where all the Hollywood Hills homes are. And I'm driving up this windy road, and it's like 2 o'clock in the morning. I have my drums in the back, and I just finished playing a show. There's a guy hitchhiking with a little dog, and the dog's got a limp. And I'm like, and I, you know, Oklahoma, I don't know anything. So I'm like, I'm picking this guy up. He should be walking on the street. So I picked this guy up. He didn't have shoes on. Big guy gets in my car, and he's got his dog in his lap. And we're driving. He goes, yeah, drive up here, make a left here, make a left. And then he's like, oh, you're a band? I'm like, yeah. He said, I was in a band. You ever heard of Rat? I'm like, yeah. And I looked over, and it's Robin Crosby, the guitar player from Rat. No. I was a huge Rat fan. This is in the 80s, you know? Wow. And he was homeless. And I drove, and he was squatting in this house, this abandoned house up in the hills with this dog. And I dropped him off, and he ended up dying not too long after that. But I just remember, like, looking back on it, because he died from AIDS, from needles. Hmm. And I looking back, I was like, it's almost as if God was like, you're here 
you know, be careful if this is what you, that's what you wish for. Wow. You know what I mean? It was kind of crazy, you know, and because I got so many stories like that, that, you know, when you look back at your life, you're like, there's reasons all this stuff happened. There's reasons, you know, whether we're finding them to, you know, validify it or we're finding it for inspiration. As long as, I think if we all believe that everything happens for a reason, we, we'll find ways to get out of problems better and at least more optimistically. Like the situation we're in right now, maybe there is a reason behind all this in the grand scheme of things. You know, see the forest through the trees kind of thing. Maybe it is to us to realize, like, hey, we need social interaction. We need these things. Don't take this for granted. Greg, write a song. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure glad you did write it because it's a great song. Skin to Skin, please check it out. It's on Greg's YouTube channel. Um, I've attached the video uh, to the interview on the Laser website, and uh, I can't wait to hear more. I've got more. I got plenty. I just now I'm now I'm like, well, shoot, I can do this. People people like me, really. They really like me. <laughs> you know, I'm like, why not? Who knows? Just wait till you write your book. Oh, man, I'm it's, I'm just working on the happy ending, man. As soon as I get that, I'm I'm starting writing right away. I've got my fingers crossed just, for you. Sitting in my coffee shop with the money that I paid for my coffee shop with the money I made from the song I wrote about being pissed off by losing the coffee shop. I have no doubt you'll get there one day, my friend. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Absolutely. Well, if you ever need any tips in the coffee world, I'd say uh, Dave Ellison from Megadeth would be a good uh, resource I for know. you. He he lives in Nashville, so I'm gonna I'm gonna probably I'm doing do my research and see what I can do here. But because, like I said, I've got an idea. The coffee shop I want to do is in, I own the building, and it's a one red light town. I'm a, and I've got about 20 or some odd gold and platinum records. I've got Billboard Awards. I've got a Grammy. I'm going to put all that stuff in this little town in Oklahoma where I'm from, and I'm going to put a collection of vinyl records and a record player so people can go listen to classic records. Oh, man. And so I love the idea, right? And I come up with this two years ago. Well, last year, they passed the medical marijuana law. And the only marijuana place in town opened up right next door. I'm like, come on, dude. How does this not work? <laughs> I'm like, this is a gold mine. I'm sitting on it. And I own the building, so I don't have any rent or lease. I'm like, come on. Please. Oh, my God. 